Hey, Pastor Justin here, and I want to welcome you to our verse-by-verse teaching through God's Word. We hope and pray that this is a huge resource to you, and it helps you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Also, want to encourage you, if this is your only place where you're being fed, go and be a part of the local church. We love being a part of your life, but it's no substitute for being a part and serving in the local church. Also, if this has blessed you, we would love to hear about it. There's an email that's listed below, and if you send us an email and just tell us how God's Word has changed your life, it would bless us tremendously. Also, would you pray and consider maybe helping us continue this ministry and getting God's Word all over the world? You can do that by going to newheightsohio.com and click on the Giving tab. Anything helps, and we appreciate it. God bless. How many of you ready to talk about biblical marriage? (laughs) How'd you like that intro, huh? Hey, we're, we're in biblical marriage part two. So last week we, we jumped in. We're, we had been studying in the book of 1 Peter. Our, our series has been called Spiritual Grit. And 1 Peter is, man, it is a difficult book sometimes to preach and apply to our lives. But it is so, so powerful. And we have a saying here at New Heights Church. We, we love to uh, comfort the afflicted, and we love to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> now, let me explain that to you. The Word of God will confront us. The Word of God confronts us. The Word of God is the truth. We say here at New Heights Church, this is God's church. It's not Pastor Justin's church. It's not the board's church. It's not any individual. It doesn't matter how much you serve or how much you give. This is God's church. Now, he's placed me here as the, as the under-shepherd, but this is his church, and we believe he has the ultimate authority. Now, how would Jesus exercise that authority? Well, he does it through his word. So if I'm not up here preaching his word, then he's not able to exercise his authority over this church. So we believe in verse by verse preaching. We believe that God's word is his voice to you and you need to be hearing it. Amen. We're trying to cultivate this love and this hunger for God's word. I love verse by verse preaching because we can't hide from difficult truths. And so here we are in chapter three. We looked at the first six verses and it was geared towards the the ladies. And now he's going to make a shift in verse seven and he's going to talk about the men. Before we get into that, I want to just share this quote. This is from Peter Marshall. He was once a chaplain to the Senate. He says this, marriage is not a federation of two sovereign states. It's a union. Domestic, social, spiritual, physical. It's a fusion of two hearts, the union of two lives, the coming together of two tributaries, which after being joined in marriage will flow in the same channel, in the same direction, carrying the same burdens of responsibility and obligation. Now, he's talking about burdens. We each have different responsibilities in the marriage, but we each carry burdens of responsibility. So marriage is... A divine institution, and I want to emphasize that today before we get going. Marriage is invented, created, and designed by God. Back in Genesis, it says that God made male and female, and when Moses wrote about this, here's here's what he said. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The Hebrew word for hold fast means literally glued together. He's been glued together with his wife. How many of you guys have 
kids and they've gotten into super glue before. <laughs> Liam loves super glue. There have been times where we've had to take his hand off of his face because he's super glued his hand to his face. There have been times where he's gotten into daddy's closet and super glued my ties to the wall. There have been times where he goes in to daddy's precious, uh, we call it my precious uh, treasure chest where I have a lot of my items that mean a lot, you know, silly stuff, but it's meaningful to me and Liam has got into that and glued things together. Just the other day he glued my Chicago Cubs uh, pennant to a Cincinnati pennant and he's a smart little six-year-old because he looked at me and said the two shall become one. (laughs) Oh Liam. But the Hebrew word it means hold fast, means glued together with his wife and the two become one flesh. Emphasis on one flesh. So like two tributaries flowing together, they make a river, they lose their own individual identities, and the two become one flesh. That's what marriage is in God's design. And Jesus, picking up on this idea of marriage in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, he said this, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let no man separate. By the way, before Jesus made this statement, he said to the Pharisees who were questioning him about divorce, he said this, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Without skipping a beat, Jesus says male and female. Those are the words out of the lips of Jesus Christ. So if we say marriage is between one man and one woman, we're in good company. And I want everyone to know I stand with Jesus. Marriage that God ordained, the two become one, but the two have their own separate roles. God's given us his word. He's given us in his word the duty and the function of both wives and husbands. And it's not hard to understand. In fact, it's clearly laid out in scripture. Last week, we looked at the wife's duties and we saw what submission uh, in a biblical marriage looks like. Number one, we talked about how uh, submitting to her husband is an obligation. We see it in scripture. Number two, submitting to her husband is an opportunity. Number three, submitting to her husband is an ornament. In other, in other words, it's, it's what real true beauty looks like. Now, again, I want to want to emphasize, if you weren't here with us last week, I want to share this. We believe in biblical submission. So we believe that the wife has been called to submit to the husband. However, that is not an excuse to stay with a husband who is abusing you. If your children or you are in danger, you need to get out. Too many times this scripture has been abused, manipulated, and twisted to brainwash women that they have to stay in abusive relationships. And that is not at all what Jesus would want for your life. Okay? So I want to be really clear. If you are in any kind of harm or danger, if your kids are in any kind of harm or danger, you need to get out of that marriage. Come to the church. Let us help you. You don't need to stay in, that, in that, that marriage. You don't need to be in a, in a dangerous place, okay? I've told you, as a pastor and growing up as a pastor's kid, I have seen so many tragedies because Scripture's been manipulated. I have, I've even known wives who have, in the end, lost their lives because they believed they had to stay with a husband who was abusive. So please, please, if you're in a dangerous situation please get help. Our church is here. We can get, get you the help that you need. God cares about your safety. Okay? 
Now, marriage is the capstone of the family. It's the building block of human civilization. And I'm telling you that a society that doesn't honor or protect marriage undermines its very existence. Why? Because one of God's designs for marriage is to show the next generation how a husband and a wife demonstrate sacrificial love towards each other. But when husband and wives abandon that love, their marriage fails to be what God intended it to be. And when marriage fails, the whole family falls apart. And when the family fails, the whole society suffers. Now more than ever, it's time for Christians to declare and put on display what the Bible declares. God's standard for marriage and the family is the only standard that can produce meaning, meaning, happiness, and fulfillment. And with that being said, I want you to know this is not to shame those who have been in a bad relationship where it didn't work out. You don't have to sit here in shame. You don't have to do that. That's not what this, we're not using this to beat over your head. God talks about divorce in the Bible. I wish I could cover all of it today, but I have to, I have to stick with what Peter was saying. But I do want to throw that out there, that if you are somebody who, who has experienced a failed marriage, you do not have to live in shame and guilt. Jesus talked about it because we live in a fallen world. And a lot of your marriage is going to depend on your partner, Okay. So you don't have to take all the blame sometimes either. Things happen. We get that. There's grace and there's mercy. But I do want you to know that God never intended for divorce. He wants marriages to work out. He wants marriages to be successful because we're on display to the world. The world is watching us. But if you're sitting here today and that's not your story, don't worry. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you as well. Amen? Come on. All right, so last week we looked at the duty of the Christian wife to her husband. Today we're finishing up his last thoughts on that. Um, and then we're going to talk about the husband. But here is what you need to remember. The main idea of this patch, passage, the major subject of actually chapters 1, verse 13, all the way through chapter 3, verse 12, is giving your life to God. Giving your life to God. Surrendering your life to God. So look back with me real quick. We're going to read verses 3 through 6 again. It says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. All right, real quick, a review on those verses because we had just got into it last week. This verse is not saying that women cannot and should not wear makeup or dress in nice clothes. We went over that, right? (laughs) We like, we like nice clothes and we like to look good. I remember when Liz left to El Salvador, she had just had Allie. Allie was just born and I took the youth kids, I was a youth pastor, took them to camp for two days while Liz was gone. Then I came back and I actually took off three vacation days and I thought, man, I'm going to have some just in time and maybe go out and do some fishing. Who knows what I would do. I never left the couch unless it was to use the bathroom or to answer the door for the pizza delivery guy. I I didn't shower in three days. I didn't shave. I didn't move. There was a sweat spot on the couch after three days, and there was just pizza boxes all over. And I remember when Liz came in, I got up to hug her, and she said, you're disgusting. You're gross. Did you not even move from this spot? And I didn't want to admit to her, not really, unless it was to get the door for pizza, to put in the DVD, because that's how we did it back in those days. 
or to uh, go to the bathroom. No, I've been in this spot for three straight days. She didn't hug me. She didn't want to kiss me. She really didn't even want to be in the same room as me. So it goes both ways. Guys, girls, we like to take care of ourselves, right? And that's okay. Look good. Remember we talked last week uh, that if we really would take this scripture exactly the way he's saying it, then Peter would be saying you can't really wear clothes either. And we don't promote nudity here at New Heights Church. So please clothe yourself every Sunday. Somebody say amen. All right, what it means is this. Ladies, there is a way that the world tells you to be beautiful, which only focuses on the external. That's beauty and clothing. And the world's going to tell you what? That it gives you power, it gives you significance. But Peter in this passage is going to go a little further. He's going to say there's a beauty that's better. And the good thing about this beauty is it is imperishable. It doesn't fade. We work really hard to keep our looks. But the truth is, as we age, our looks change. I gave you a confession last week that I am terrified to lose my hair. I don't mind if I get, I'm already short, so that's just something I've had to deal with my whole life. I don't mind if I lose my teeth. I don't mind if I get fat. I'll just wear dentures. I'll wear extra large clothes. But man, God, let me keep my hair. And I've already passed this on to my boys. They are They care, well, Liam cares very much about his hair. Today he asked me, Dad, flip it up front like Elvis. (laughs) I said, okay. I don't even know how he knows who Elvis is, but he does, and he wants hair just like Elvis. And when I said, okay, it looks good, it looks just like Elvis, he looked at me and said, thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) That is Liz's son. Okay, Peter's saying nothing wrong with a makeover, but make sure you're doing spiritual makeovers. In his words, imperishable beauty. Notice that, imperishable beauty. Think about imperishable because physical beauty is the opposite. Okay, that's why the fashion industry or or the beauty industry depends on what? Young people. It's true, right? Go to to the store and look at the magazines. So last year's models uh, are today's unemployed. That's why they have to keep reaching younger people every year because imperishable beauty is different than what Peter's talking about. Imperishable beauty doesn't rely on cosmetics. The kind of beauty Peter's talking about makes a woman look more beautiful as the years go on, right? See, you can be stunning on the outside but ugly on the inside. And I want you to notice a phrase. Did you pick up this in verse 4? It says, the hidden person of the heart. Hidden person of the heart. Look at that. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart is going to be the real you. Let the real you, let the adorning of yourself be the real you. In other words, not what you put on display when everybody's around, but when how you are when nobody's around. It's the real you, the hidden person of the heart. That's who you are when nobody's looking. And what Peter's suggesting, or what the Bible is mandating, is that we as Christians, we as believers, male or female here, get really concerned about the hidden person of the heart. What if we spend as much time on the hidden person of the heart as the outward person? Look, I have a routine every single morning. I blow dry my hair, take good care of my hair. I put certain creams in my hair, (laughs) okay? And my little routine takes a little while. Allie is, she's got me beat, my 12-year-old daughter. She will go an hour, an hour and a half, man, taking care of her hair. But what about, because we care about how we look, right? Man, one, one Sunday, 
when I was a missionary, I had to use the bathroom, and I got a piece of toilet paper stuck on my foot, and nobody told me. I preached an entire sermon with a piece of toilet paper hanging off my shoe. We care about how we look. We don't want to leave and look bad or look ugly or look, have a big booger hanging out of our nose. Or We want to look good, right? So we have our routine. We go in the mirror. We make sure we're looking good. What about if we spent that much time worrying and being concerned about our spiritual, our inner person? Think about it. Again, physical beauty is not bad. There are a lot of people who twist this passage, support the idea that Peter's saying, don't let your attractiveness, don't let your beauty be just something that's on... Or, or, or they'll twist this and they say he's saying you can't be attractive, you can't be beautiful, you can't care about those things. It's not what he's saying. He's just saying to not let your beauty be just something that's on the outside. But let your beauty be something that is on the inside. I hope you see the contrast that Peter's making. By the way, any young men who are in here this morning, I got a word for you. So listen to me. It's real good here, okay? I know that the first attraction you have oftentimes is the look of that girl. But I want to caution you not just, not just to fall for the outward appearance of a girl. Young men, listen up. That's like going to a house, to a house site unseen and buying a house on the basis of whether or not you like the paint on the outside. You might check to see if there's something wrong with the plumbing on the inside, see if there's a kitchen on the inside, see if there's even running water on the inside. Don't just choose on the basis of outward things. Check on their spirit. See if they're as beautiful on the inside as they are on the outside. Right? And fathers, we are teaching our young men this, right? Okay. Okay. Here's the amazing thing about this passage. What Peter has just done, and you can read through this passage and never see this, and this is the best part of it. What he's just done is he's applied the doctrine of the resurrection to even your physical beauty. That's what he means when he says imperishable beauty. Sometimes we as evangelical Christians, we have a really difficult time thinking about how the resurrection fits into our everyday life. I mean, we get it. We, we understand the significance of the cross. Jesus died, so we were forgiven. We understand that. And every Easter we preach on it. But... How do we apply it to our everyday life, right? Peter builds his entire letter on the resurrection. And by the way, most of the New Testament is built around this, and even most of the Old Testament is pointing to it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Big deal, not just on Easter. (laughs) Because of the resurrection, Peter says, you have an imperishable beauty growing in you that exudes from within and will go on forever. So you don't need to build your identity and your hope on your physical looks because it won't last forever. Man, Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? Proverbs 31, it says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she will be praised. I hope you've discovered this, and I'm speaking to both the wife and the husband, that beauty and charm are deceitful. And then Peter ends this section with the wives. He ends with role models and examples. I like that. Your example should, should not be a Hollywood star. Your example shouldn't be some rock singer. Liam can like Elvis, but that shouldn't be his role model. <laughs> Your example should be a godly example from the Bible or someone from the church, right? Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God. Listen to me. The deepest root of Christian womanhood mentioned in this text, get, get it, if you're taking notes, write it down. The deepest root of Christian womanhood mentioned in this text is hope in God. 
hope in God. Holy women who hoped in God. A Christian woman does not put her hope in her husband or even in getting a husband. Did you hear me? That shouldn't be your hope. She didn't put her hope in her looks. She puts her hope in the promises of God. She's described in Proverbs 31, 25. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Now, she laughs at everything the future will bring and might bring. Why? Because she hopes in God. She's able to look away from all the problems, and life has plenty of problems and difficulties. She's able to not only focus on the, or not just stop focusing on the problem, but she's able to focus on the sovereign power, the love of God, who rules in heaven and does on earth whatever he pleases. She gets it, and that's where her hope is. She knows her Bible, and she knows her theology of a sovereign God. She knows his promises. She knows that he will be with her. He will strengthen her no matter what. That's deep. This is deep stuff here. Unshakable root of Christian womanhood is the fact that she hopes in God. So young men, when you're looking for a spouse, make sure she puts her hope in God. She puts her hope in you, man, goodness. And here's the thing. He's not just talking about any woman. He's talking about a woman with unshakable biblical roots in, this, in the goodness of God. Holy woman who hope in God, and he gives her a name. He uses a specific person, a woman who did just that, just to show you that this kind of beauty is possible. Because sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget that these were human beings just like us, with the same struggles just like we do, and yet they were somehow able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to submit their life to a God and live a holy and righteous life. Doesn't mean they made a mistake. We, man, look at the Old Testament. Look at the New Testament. God talks about imperfect people who continually put their hope and faith in Jesus. Sarah, at the age of 90, she was so beautiful. At 90 years old, she was so beautiful that the king of Egypt tried to seduce her. She was beautiful, but that was on the outside. What Peter's focusing on is the, is the inside. Man, she was beautiful on the outside and the inside was her inner beauty. It says that it is to be the example of a godly wife, and one of her greatest attributes was her ability to submit to God. And in submitting to God, she was able to submit to her husband. She set the example. Hopefully, we're looking to the Bible for our cues. And I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to take it even further. Hopefully, we're looking to the Bible and not Bible teachers. Because, man, I've sat in some churches where I don't think the whole Bible is really being taught. I think, I think we sometimes try to format it to fit and be more culturally relevant. It's, it's not something good. Don't, don't, don't look at a preacher. Make sure what I'm preaching lines up with the Word of God. Look to the Bible. Amen? Look to the Bible. Now... We can look at verse 7 now. Husbands, are you ready? Listen up, because this is for you. Verse 7, likewise. Likewise. We have to pause right there, because that's a really important word, okay? He turns the table here, turns the tables. And I know men only get one verse, but it's a pretty dense verse. And again, I want to tell you, because so many people say, man, why in the world would Peter dedicate six verses to the wife, and then he gives the husband just one verse? I have the same question. Why, man? We need so much help today, husbands. But here's what you have to remember. When Peter wrote this letter, it was a lot more difficult and dangerous for a woman, especially a woman who became a Christian. 
And if her husband didn't become a Christian, that was viewed as a sign of defiance in that culture. And so her life all of a sudden could be in danger. She needed plenty of help. She needed guidance. How am I going to navigate this? How do I respect my husband and still follow the faith? How do I submit to my husband as long as it doesn't mean I, I have to stop submitting to God? How do I do this? And so Peter dedicates six verses. And then the husbands, he does just give one verse, but it's, it's pretty dense. And again, you have to remember that just because Peter's talking to a, a wife who's married to an unsaved husband, and even in verse 7, she's talking to a, a saved husband who's married to an unsaved wife, but the principle still applies. We see Paul teaching it all throughout his epistles. So, but this context that we're looking at today, he's actually talking to spouses who are married to people who do not believe in Jesus, are not following the faith. So he says, likewise. How does a husband win an unsaved wife? Now that's less frequent, especially in that day, but it does happen. And he says, you husbands, likewise, likewise, the same word that we see in Ephesians 6 when Paul said masters do the same thing. She's, she's submitting to you, so likewise, literally it means according to knowledge. And some of you are already saying, well, what do you mean likewise? Well, listen up, husbands, you submit too. Oh, what? I never knew that part of the Bible. What are you talking about, Pastor Justin? Well, you submit too. There's a submission on our part. Go back, read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, submit yourselves to one another. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives. Now, I will say that husbands do not submit in the same way that citizens do to a government or servants to a master or wives to a husband, but there's a level of submission that takes place mutually between husband and wife, and this is, part, this is a part that so many husbands ignore or neglect, and they don't want to bring this into the equation. We don't submit to the authority of the wife. We don't submit to the or, or we don't submit to the leadership of the wife or to the headship of the wife, but we do submit and listen to this. You submit to the needs of the wife. We, we subordinate our own little world and our own little agenda to meet the needs of the woman who is our wife. That's what Peter's teaching here. And here's what's so crazy, even if she's not a Christian, even if she's not a follower of Jesus. See, verse 7 says, you husbands, likewise, you have to submit just like the wife. Just like, just like he's been building on this principle of submission, now he's hammering it to the husbands. We have a part to play in submission too. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. In an understanding way. What, what does it mean to live with them in an understanding way? Well, listen to me, guys. Learn all you can about your wife. Learn their biological makeup. Man, we, we know that women and men are different. Right? Men and women are different. They're different biologically. They're different emotionally. They're wired differently. God created us both equal. You need to understand that. But he created us both different. One man said, I, I didn't know until I got married that when a woman is sad, she cries. When she's mad, she cries. When she's glad, she cries. I, I never knew that, he said. We don't understand things. It takes time to learn the differences. It took me a long time to understand that sometimes when Liz cries, it's a good thing. You know, the Hallmark commercial comes on and it's making her cry. She cried. She actually cried when I got on one knee and proposed to her. And at that point, I didn't know that it was a good crying. And I thought, wow. 
Talk about backfire. <laughs> and she never answered yes for a long time until, until finally I had to say, you got to say yes or no. She said, I thought my face showed it. <laughs> One woman said, I met my husband 18 months before we were married, but I didn't know him until the first time I asked for money. She said, then and only then did I really get to know him. <laughs> One man said, money, 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 that's all my wife ever asked for. I just can't stand it anymore. That's all she talks about is money, money, money. His friend said, well, how much do you give her? He said, I don't. I've never given her any. Well, you don't know your wife. Pastor Skip Heidzik shared that Harvard University did a study on little kids on the playground. They monitored the noises they make, and then they recorded them, and they discovered this, that when listening to the little kids' playground conversations, that the sounds that came out of the little girl's mouth were actually recognizable words. Okay. Whereas the noises that came out of the little boys' mouths, 60% were recognizable, and 40% were sound effects. <laughs> bang, bang, boom, boom, room, room. 40%. Of the little boy's communication were sound effects. Think about that. <laughs> he also shared these statistics that the average woman speaks 25,000 words a day. I believe that. The average man speaks around 12,500 words per day. I also believe that. So here's what that means when he comes home after a day of work, he's already used 12,495. <laughs> he's got five left, that's it. <laughs> On the day I preach, I go way over that. <laughs> I want to play a video I thought was funny, and I think we could use a little humor right now anyway. I want to play a Tim Hawkins video. This is a Christian comedian. I, I think he does it so well. And just to throw this out here, he's actually coming to Cincinnati. He's going to be at the Vineyard. So if you think this guy's funny, and I do, I think he's hilarious, you can go see him live at the Vineyard here, I think, in two weeks. Corey, will you play that? Like one of the conflict resolution tools they teach in marriage is ask questions. When you have a disagreement, don't just start spewing out what you think, make it worse. Ask questions, try to relate, make it better. I used that last week. My wife and I got into a disagreement. It got hot, it got heated. We started a fight. I stopped myself right there, started asking questions. Honey, why are you being a psycho right now? Men and women text differently. Like when men text something, it's just a couple of words, da da da, send. That's all I had to say. I have nothing left right now. I'm tapped out right now. When I get another thought, I will send that out to you. But right now, just a couple of crickets playing racquetball up there. Yeah. But women, when women text, what are you doing? Oh, you look like a squirrel holding a nut. You're like, oh, yay. I got a carriage return on your phone. This is my text to her right here. Hello, my darling. How you doing today? Send. And that's when the floodgates open. Now I'm going to read you her response. 
Goodham just so tired, went to chiropractor. I'm super tight through shoulders and mid-back, so he loosened that up. He said, it sounds like my brain isn't shutting off for some reason. I asked him if it would be from playing electronic games before bed. He said, probably so. He said, try that have a sip of wine before bed. If I don't sleep good the next week, come back and try acupuncture. Smiley face, I'm feeling very draggy, but still as Jack and Stacey, so it could be in the air. Have it Jackson played Xbox before bed, so he could have the same issues. <laughs> So I text back, okay. <laughs> Actually, it was just, okay. That's all it was. I don't want to overdo it. Get a bliss. <laughs> all right. He's going to be here in Cincinnati at the Vineyard Church. Christian comedian. I, <laughs> sorry. The point is, the, the, men... <laughs> We are called to live a life of understanding, an understanding of what, some of you might say. Everything relevant, listen to me, everything relevant. Her, you, God, his word, the world, the situation, kids, men, gird up the loins of your mind. You've got stuff to think about here. It's like getting married. When, when Liz moved, it was the biggest transition of my life. That first year when we had to learn to live together, it was two people coming together and being one. I wanted my Rambo poster still up. Liz didn't like them. I liked my Ken Griffey Jr. poster in the bathroom. She said, it's not a place, to, it's not a place for a Ken Griffey Jr. poster. Yes, it is, Liz. It's the perfect place. What kind of inspiration are you looking for, Justin? I love baseball and sports. She didn't care to have that up on her walls. She liked pictures of Rome and Italy sunsets, and that just didn't inspire me when I'm watching a baseball game, right? We're different. Nothing's more life-changing than being married. You're being told right here by Peter, study your responses to your wife. I've often said this and heard this many times, nothing's gonna bring out your sin more than your spouse. That's for husbands and wives, right? I mean, they know you the best. They know what buttons to push. Come on. Marriage, I've heard uh, from different pastors, marriage is a great sanctifying anvil. <laughs> you are being called to rediscover your wife constantly. You need to know her. You need to know your wife. You need to know the Bible. Guess what? You can't lead if you don't know the Bible. Be someone who's easy to submit to by knowing your Bible and being a godly leader. Truth is, so many times husbands want to lead and they don't lead from a biblical perspective. This is a call to restudy, to think, to meditate and communicate with your wife. Your wife knows, knows herself, so talk to her. Ask what she feels about this or that. Constantly learn from her. Learn about her. Date your wife. For crying out loud, men, date your wife. This isn't something you do just when you're married and as soon as she says yes, ha ha. <laughs> I got you now. You date your wife your whole life. Date her. I try to take every Friday and make it a date with uh, Liz, and we've tried to do this our whole marriage, and I've failed so many times because I've, I've shared stories up here where my idea of a really fancy date is Buffalo Wild Wings watching an NBA Finals game. Come on. 
I discovered Liz doesn't like that. She doesn't like to watch sports or go to Buffalo. You kind of like Buffalo Wild Wings now, though. Kind of winning her over. Understanding. Live with them with knowledge and understanding. In Genesis chapter 2, Moses writing this, he says, It's not good that man should be alone. So God says, okay, here's my solution. Man can't live alone. I'm going to make a helper. And here's, here's, here's some translations. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Some say comparable or suitable. It's a counterpart, part, if you will. I'm going to make a helper as a counterpart to him. In fact, the Hebrew, it says this. I'm going to make a helper like opposite him. That's an interesting way to put it. Like him, but opposite to him. Interestingly, the translation speaks of polarity. So just like you have a North Pole, a South Pole, because otherwise, what? The planet's not going to work. It won't function right. It's going to be out of whack. You need a balance, the North Pole to the South Pole. So men and women are different and they're similar. Yes, I get it. Both male and female, we're humans. We acknowledge that. We understand that. Same species, but we are different. And that's by creative design. In fact, one book on brain physiology states this, that men are different from women. They are equal only in their common membership of the same species, humanity. But to maintain that they are in the same inaptitude and skills and behaviors to build a society on a biological and scientific lie. The book goes on to say this, that men and women are different because their brains are different. Not better, not inferior, not superior, but better. Or I mean, (laughs) wow, that's good. (laughs) Woo! <laughs> oh my word. Not... <laughs> That's going on YouTube, I know it. Not better, not inferior, not superior, different, not better. <laughs> Man, if you want a happy marriage, husbands, you need to understand this. You need to live with your wife with understanding. That's the command Peter gives to the husbands. Your job is to figure out your wife, to be a student of your wife. And, and even I, I looked up, and this is a secular, it's the Relationship Institute. This is, this is secular thinking. I want you to hear even, even secular thinking will say this. So men and women differ in so many different areas according to this Relationship Institute. They say that girls develop the right side of the brain faster than the boys. This leads to talking, vocabulary, pronunciation, reading earlier, better memory. It says boys develop the left side faster. So visual, uh, logical skills, perceptual skills, better at math, not... Not all the time. I am a C minus in math. He's generally speaking. Don't problem solving, building, and figuring out puzzles. Girls are more interested in toys with faces. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. And boys than boys are. Uh, they play with stuffed animals and dolls more. And boys are drawn to blocks or anything that can be manipulated. Thought that was an interesting word. <laughs> Women use both hemispheres of brain. Uh, in fact, the the corpus uh, callosum thicker in in the women than it is in men. Now listen to this. This is interesting too. Values and self-esteem as adults. Listen to what they say. A man's sense of self is defined through his ability to achieve results, through success and accomplishment, achieve goals, improve his competence, and feel good about himself. To feel good about himself, men must achieve goals by themselves. For men, doing things by themselves is a symbol of efficiency, power, and competence. And in general, men are more interested in objects and things rather than people and feelings. Men rarely talk about their problems unless they're seeking expert advice. Asking for help when you can do something yourself is considered a sign of weakness. Men are more aggressive than women, more combative and territorial. Men's self-esteem is more career-related. 
Men feel devastated by failure and financial setbacks. They tend to obsess about money way more than women. And it says that men hate to ask for information because it shows they're a failure. Now, the Relationship Institute said this about women. They value love, communication, beauty, and relationships. A woman's self-assent is defined through their feelings and the quality of their relationships. They spend much time supporting, nurturing, and helping each other. They experience fulfillment through sharing and relating. Personal expression in clothes and feelings is very important. Communication is important. Talking, sharing, and relating is how a woman feels good about herself. For women, offering help is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. It's a sign of caring, caring to give support. They're very concerned about issues relating to physical attractiveness. Changes in this area can be as difficult for women as a change in a man's financial status. And when men are preoccupied with work or money, women interpret it as rejection. Thought it was interesting. Here's the point of it all. We're different. We are. Men and women are different. Now, look at the text. So he says, live with them in understanding. Be a student, husbands. Be a student of your wife. Know what makes her tick. Know what she's afraid of. Know what she loves. Know what she's passionate about. And, and it's like you heard sometimes they'll say, a man is the head, and, but the woman's the neck. Do you know your wife enough to make decisions based on how she would feel or think? Because that's what you're being asked to do. That's what Peter's saying here. But then look at the text again. It says, showing honor to the woman. Now, it means to assess or assign, assign someone a place of honor to assess that they have value and to assign that value to that person. Honor is a word that means price or precious or priceless. It means that a husband should treat her with respect and courtesy and kindness. Now, immediately, some of you are going to jump to the, the last part of that sentence, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, okay? Now, let me say something. When it says weaker vessel, it doesn't mean that a wife or a woman is weaker intellectually. It does not mean that. It doesn't mean that a woman or a wife is weaker emotionally, even though she's built different. It doesn't mean she's weaker emotionally or mentally. Sometimes I think my wife is way stronger than me when it comes to emotions because she's able to talk about it, where I keep it inside and pretend I don't have a problem. Then I crumble and fall apart a few weeks later. And she knows when I'm struggling because I'm quiet. She'll get me to talk about it. It's amazing how better you feel when you talk about it. Now, does she feel better after I've talked about it? <laughs> okay, it doesn't mean intellectually, it doesn't mean emotionally, and it does not mean spiritually. She is not weaker than you spiritually. Peter's referring to physical strength, and stay with me before you're ready to throw darts. Physiologically, generally speaking, women don't have the physical strength that men have. This is what Peter's talking about here. And, and I... I I thought, man, they're going to kill me if I just come out and say this. Now, I believe in God's word, but it's interesting to see how, how science sometimes will back up God's word. People think they don't go together. But listen, scientifically, a woman's blood contains more water and 20% fewer red blood cells, which supply oxygen to the body, which accounts for the fact that she will tire more easily. So this, this isn't a Christian person saying this. This, is, this was medical science. Now, generally speaking, this is what Peter's saying. I will be the first, I am a little wee man. I have little man syndrome. I've had it all my life on a good damn 5'6". Okay, there are plenty of times where I have lost in an arm wrestling contest to a female. She, is, she has beat me. I am 100, I am 200% confident that any female in the WNBA would trample me without even putting forth any kind of effort whatsoever. 
school me, put me to shame. Peter is speaking generally here. That's what he's talking about. So he's not saying that there aren't going to be athletic women, anything like that. All he's saying is, is from a biological standpoint, there's differences. That, he's not saying they're, they're inferior mentally or physically, or well, not inferior, they're weaker in this. <laughs> Some of this stuff is really hard. He's just highlighting the biological differences, okay, between male and female. Now, listen, husbands, we, we need to know our wives so well that we know the soft spots in their character. This is, this is tough. This is a big call for husbands. I think that if a man understands this, there are certain areas in my wife's character, there are specific things that only pertain to her that she struggles with. I don't know what it, it, maybe it's fears, maybe it's certain personality types. I need to be strong in those areas. I need to protect my wife. Okay, now honor your wife. I took this from Mark Driscoll. I thought it was incredible. I didn't want to change it at all. I don't agree with everything that Mark Driscoll preaches, but he's spot on with this. He says, to honor your wife, uh, first you have to honor her spiritually. You've got to initiate church, prayer, Bible reading, ministry service. You need to initiate godly friends. To honor her emotionally, that's empathy and consideration. You need to be emotionally present. Not disclosing to the wrong people too. Be careful how you, how you talk. Sometimes you're venting, and be careful who you vent to. Protect your wife in certain conversations, all right? When you're out golfing, you need to protect your wife in certain conversations, okay? Honor her physically. Obviously, you need to be protective of her. You need to be present with her. He says, honor her sexually. You're a one-woman man. Do you hear me? You are a one-woman man. You made a vow and a commitment to your wife before God. Don't buy into the baloney, well, I'm just a man. No, you're a one-woman man. Honor her that way, okay? Honor her verbally. You need to have good nicknames for your wife, not bad nicknames. And what I've learned is volume and tone matter. <laughs> I have learned this. Sometimes my wife will be like, why are you yelling at me? I'm not yelling. This is how I talk, not to me. Calm down. I'm calm. I'm calm. <laughs> Honor her financially. Work hard. Plan jointly. Spend wisely. Give generously. You guys need to archi architect a life so that it works for both of you. House, schedule, chores, etc. Honor her as a mother. You need to be uni united with your wife. You guys need to be a unified front as parents. Do not, with your kids, bring them into the battles. Honor her consistently. God is changing, or God is unchanging, which, which makes him faithful. Godliness is the same. Remember this, your wife is a daughter of the king. It means she's a princess to the king. Honor her as a, as a queen. Guess what your family needs more than anything? An anointing. An anointing. In fact, look at verse 7. It says, honor, her to the, honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Here's what that means. Jesus died for her as much as he died for you, husbands. Your wife's soul is as precious to him as your soul. And you need to remember that when you're treating her however you treat her because you're dealing with a child of God, a daughter of God. I love how Matthew Henry says it. He says, 
Woman was not taken from man's head to be above him. She was not taken from his feet to be walked on by him, but she was taken from his side to be close to him, from under his arm to be protected by him, from near to his heart to be loved by him. Having a daughter was the best thing in the world for me. Because guess what? I expect Allie's husband one day to treat her with love and respect. And there are times I have to stop and say, man, and the way that I talk to my wife, Liz, would I be okay with, with somebody talking to Liz this way? It was like the best gift I could have ever asked for to be a father of a daughter. It really was. Man, I get angry. Even right now, I get so protective of my little girl. I walked her to school one day after she had just got her hair cut and a little boy was just being a little boy. Just said, your hair looks silly. I said, oh man, I'm gonna... Liz said, get in the car. <laughs> oh. But here's, here's what's interesting. You know, you talk about the wife being a daughter of the king. And, and as a dad, I get so protective. Boy, you better watch how you talk to my little girl. And I can't, I can, I can wait. I'm, I don't, when she gets to that age where boys are coming around, I'm going to have a lot of talks. But it's, it's funny, you treat my girl well, I'm gonna treat you well. But I'm gonna have a problem with you, you treat my daughter disrespectfully. And look at it, how it ends, it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Isn't that amazing? In saying this, Peter's assuming that Christian husbands pray, number one. <laughs> Nothing more powerful than a man leading his home in, in prayer. Devil does all he can to stop the head of the house praying. Don't let Satan keep you from praying. Pray, pray, pray. I don't care if your schedule is packed full. Wake up an hour earlier. Pray. Be a man of prayer. Get on your knees and pray. Your family needs it. And the word he uses, the word hindered. Hinder means to, to cut in or to interrupt. It's a military word used in warfare when they would block a road or a highway so an army couldn't travel over a road. It means your prayers are blocked. Your prayers are blocked. This is a reference in the New Testament to an actual situation where God will not hear and answer your prayers. And do you know what the principle is, broader than marriage, but applies to a marriage? You cannot be right with God and wrong with your wife. Or let me repeat myself. You cannot be right with God and wrong with your wife. It worked, or, or you cannot be wrong with, right with God and wrong with a fellow believer. New Testament principle here. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24 says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Now, let me be really clear, because this is another passage that gets taken out of context and twisted. There's some people who are sitting in a chair right here who are living in shame and guilt because somebody won't forgive them. Or, let me, be, let me be real clear on what the phrase means, your brother has something against you. Does, does it mean that anyone can make a charge against you, even if it's ridiculous and keeps you from worshiping? Absolutely not. If that were the case, Jesus himself would have gone and reconciled with the Jewish leaders who falsely accused him of wrongdoing. He didn't do that. Why? Because there are people out there who are going to talk nonsense about you. There are people out there who want to deceive. There are people out there who would rather be divided than united. And they're going to come in the church and they're going to act like sheep. But the truth is, all they want to do is divide. 
And out of their mouth, their heart is shown, it comes out. It shows everything that they say is all about division. It's all criticism. And they might just pick on you. They might choose you to be somebody that they're gonna criticize and they're gonna go after. And it doesn't matter what you did, they're always gonna hold something against you. Peter's not saying that you have to go reconcile with someone that doesn't wanna be reconciled with. They had something against Jesus, the religious people, something so serious that they decided to kill Jesus to keep him from running, ruining the nation. So Peter is saying, you cannot be right with God if you're not right with your wife. That's following a New Testament truth. You cannot be right with God if you're not right with fellow believers. And the truth isn't for, for people who are troubled by the, belief that, by the belief that they've never been forgiven for something, even though they've asked over and over and over and so many years have passed, they've never received forgiveness. But listen, if we're gonna forgive others, we have to forgive ourselves. And after we've forgiven what God has forgiven, then we can seek forgiveness to all who you think you offended. But just remember this, you cannot make choices and decisions for them. This applies to a marriage, so stay with me. If we try to make someone forgive us, then we've missed the point. Of course, it's gonna be incredible to seek reconciliation, but if you've tried and you failed, leave it up to God. Only he can direct the heart, whichever way he chooses. We can only make it worse by trying to change people. But here's, here's what I really wanna emphasize. If you're that person today who refuses to forgive, oh boy. Oh boy. Because that means God himself will not forgive you if that's you. Forgiveness is something that God himself in all his omniscience, in all his omnipotence has required of every single child to say, I'm following you. He's called you to release every single time that an offense has been made. Because without the releasing of forgiveness, the Bible says God himself will not forgive our sins and will hold our sins against us. That is one of the scariest passages in all the Bible. Having our sins not forgiven by God is the scariest thing ever. Choose to forgive. Because if we don't, then we're gonna be a breeding ground for bitterness and we're gonna become toxic people. Have you ever seen a person so full of bitterness that every single time you talk to him, you just walk away and you feel down and you feel beat up even if they're not toxic about you because everything out of their mouth is a cancer and a poison? Man. This offended person defiles others simply because he, they're holding on to the offense and they're refusing to forgive. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 tells us, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, let any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. Don't be someone who holds on to forgiveness or holds on to uh, hurt, forgive, forgive. <laughs> now, as we close, I'm gonna break, break down to one principle. Here it is, because this is what Peter was saying. I told you it's a New Testament principle though. Don't think you can, your, your prayers will be blocked. They will be hindered. The Bible says it. If you are holding on to unforgiveness, but Peter's talking about in the marriage here. So if you are holding on to unforgiveness, Peter is saying your prayers will be blocked. Here it is failure of husband duty will bring interruption to heavenly bounty. Evasion of husband duty will invite an interruption to heavenly bounty or blessing. You wanna see God's blessing? Then stop. Stop failing as a husband to do your duty. 
Stop holding on to something. Maybe you're holding, and this goes both ways. This could be to the wife too. This is both to the wife and the husband. Don't hold on to unforgiveness. Release it. Release it. Release it. So I'm pleading with you. If you've, if you've got a, some idea in your mind of what you think a perfect partner should be, I, I just need you to de- destroy it. You need to accept the imperfect person. You're married to an imperfect person and so is your spouse. <laughs> and we fail and that's why we need for, to be forgiven. We need to forgive and honor and esteem and yield because that's the way God has designed marriage. It's to keep the inhabitants safe. It's to keep the husband safe and the wife safe. So as I close today, as we close, I know I went a little longer, I'm sorry. As we close today, here's what I wanna do because this is a spiritual moment. We've just heard God's word. So before worship leads us back into, or before the worship team leads us back into worship, I want you to pull out that connect card. This is spiritual here. This is not just, nobody's gonna show up to your your door and do a dance. We really do this because we believe this is a spiritual declaration. God is speaking to some of your hearts. There are people here who need to forgive and there are people here who, who, who need to maybe make a, a real relationship, begin a real relationship with Jesus. You've heard me teaching about relationships and you're like, look, Pastor Justin, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. Well, today can be the start of that because all you have to do is put your faith in him. That's it. You don't have to come up front and do anything. You just literally have to say, Jesus, I believe in who you say you are. I believe I've sinned and fallen short and I believe that only you can forgive my sins. I choose today to live for you, that's it. Maybe it's someone who you you just kind of need to make a fresh commitment. Man, I'm gonna recommit to, to Jesus. I have given my life to him, but there's just, there's areas I need to recommit. And then I'm gonna commit to viewing, this is the third one. I'm gonna commit to viewing the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament as authoritative. That's a big one. Today, some of you, God is calling you to make that statement. Man, you're gonna choose to live according to the Bible. You're not gonna take your cultural cues from the world anymore. You're gonna choose to be led by God's word. You're gonna choose to allow God to have the authority in your life and to speak to you through his word. And there are some of you today that's gonna say, man, I'm gonna commit to viewing marriage through a biblical lens. And today you were rocked because there have been things in your marriage where you have been hurt and you don't believe you could ever have a strong marriage again. And today God's saying, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Give that marriage back to me. View it through a biblical lens. Amen. Father, we love you and praise you and worship you. You are an amazing God and we just celebrate you today for all that you have done. God, I thank you for everybody that is here today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your divine creativity. God, and I thank you for the gift of marriage. Lord, I thank you for my biblical husbands and my biblical wives. I thank you, God. And I pray for those marriages that might even seem broken right now. God, you can do the impossible. So Lord, I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of those today that are here as we recommit to you and to your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.